Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Warren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. And joining the show for the very first time is none other than our friend Taylor Dabney. Taylor is a senior graphic designer right here at the Heritage Foundation and a very problematic woman. Taylor, thanks for being here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. <laughs> so I feel like this is a conversation. It's like, who, who should I have this conversation with? <laughs> Taylor and Lauren, this will be good. Um, so over the weekend, I was visiting my sister and we found ourselves in this little boutique outside of Atlanta that had very like trendy hip like high school fashion clothes like you know like the little crop tops and like the baggy jeans with the holes and we were like well you know like she's in her 30s I'm nearing that and it's like okay can can we wear these kind of clothes so we decided to like try a bunch of them on we're like what does this actually look like on grown women um but like how do you find that line right between like being hip with the times and being stylish and not just looking like you're trying to be a high schooler when you're in your late 20s or early 30s. I've been waiting for you to ask for my fashion expertise. Yes, <laughs> Because everyone knows Lauren know. is the fashionista uh, here I really, at our team. I, I really am. <laughs> She's my fashion icon. <laughs> the dresses and tennis shoes just give it away. I mean, <laughs> like, right there. It's style and it's comfort. I, I don't understand why. <laughs> Taylor, you're much more equipped to answer this question than I am. I mean, I'm wearing tennis shoes right now, too. (laughs) (laughs) I am not, for the record. I'm wearing boots. Yeah, those are actually really cute little boots. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, see? Yeah, you know, style. Well, I mean, like, it is, it's funky, because it's like, styles and fashions, like, it keeps on changing, but I'm like, I don't feel like I should have to keep up with this to such a degree, because I'm almost 30. I'm doing, Lauren, what you used to do when you were 29, and you were like, I'm 30, 30. and I was like, no, Lauren, you're 29. (laughs) You're you're like, yeah. Well, and my thing is, so when we were growing up, we, when we were like the jeans, the the low rise jeans were like two, you had like two inches, right? Mm -hmm. Like the worst. And then we got mom jeans and like every woman was like, thank the Lord we got our mom jeans back because there's just nothing more comfortable than like having a full coverage pant. And High now, waisted. yeah, yeah, and now so much more attractive. They're they're going back, and I'm like, what are you thinking? Like we <laughs> we will not go back. Like, I want to be like protesting at the Supreme Court what about my jeans, my jeans to hit at my waist, yeah. not my hips. Yeah. yeah, I mean, whatever with crop tops, not my thing. I don't think you should show your stomach in in public unless you're at the, like the swimming pool. But you know what? If you got it, flaunt it. Like I don't. It doesn't really bother me. But yeah, but jeans just drive me nuts. Mm-hmm. My sister let me. She gave me a pair of jeans this weekend, and I'm very grateful. They're very nice jeans, but they're like low rise, and I'm like, what? Sitting in the restaurant, being like, what is? Like, what, something's wrong. <laughs> so that's my that's my soapbox. No, um, I agree. Clothing. I'm not going back. No. It took me a really long time to get back on the scrunchie train mm. from like you know our childhood. Scrunchies are like a thing that like Gen Z has done now. Mm. The only thing that got me back on board was that like apparently it's good for your hair. Um, <laughs> It doesn't break it. See, as I much, told you you were but... way more stylish than me because <laughs> I because I occasionally wear scrunchie. Oh, 100 percent. I am thinking about investing again in scrunchies. I I think they were actually a kind of cute fashion, and I'm like, well, maybe no, Virginia, maybe I need to bring them you're back. Too close to thirty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still just twenty nine. <laughs> it's like the butterfly clips are back. The butterfly too, clips. So. Yeah, that might be a safer option. Although yeah. I don't know, it does it does feel very 1990s. No, it those, does, those are but fine. like. 
We'll see. Yeah. One day I'm just going to come into way. the office with like three scrunchies in my hair and like a crop top. And you're lining <laughs> up your arms with scrunchies. <laughs> hey, fam, like my scrunchie, no cap. <laughs> That's my Gen Z. We love you, Gen Zers. I'm sorry. <laughs> we do. Thank you for listening to us rant and ramble. <laughs> All right, Lord, go ahead and let us know what we have queued up on today's show. Up on today's problematic woman, pro-abortion protesters are making the rounds at the homes of conservative justices. We tell you what the scene is like on the ground, plus YouTube is censoring our content again and food shortages continue and this time it's bad it's baby formula and as always we'll be crowning our problematic woman of the week each week on problematic women we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative leaning or problematic women those whose views and opinions are so often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left if you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right. Let's get to it. Intimidating a Supreme Court justice in an effort to make them rule a certain way on a case is illegal. But that is not stopping pro-abortion protesters from marching to the homes of the five conservative-leaning justices. On Saturday, protesters marched to the homes of Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Brett Kavanaugh in Chevy Chase, Maryland. On Monday night, they went to Justice Samuel Alito's home in Alexandria, Virginia. And on Wednesday night, to all five conservative justices' house, including Amy Coney Barrett and Clarence Thomas. We are recording this show before the protests on Wednesday night, but you can be sure to follow the Problematic Women Instagram account to see... At Problematic Women. At Problematic Women. Look for that pink logo so that you can see what it was like there on the ground. You can also check out the Daily Signal across social media platforms to get that video coverage. Um, But this is a little bit of what the crowd sounded like at Justice Samuel Alito's home on Monday night. Abort the Court was one of the many chants that they had that night. There's been a lot of various chants. Some of them we cannot repeat on this podcast. (laughs) Taylor, uh, you have gone to all of these protests so far. You have been a part of that crowd. And, I mean, did you ever think that in your job at the Heritage Foundation that part of your job would be going to protests outside Supreme Court (laughs) justices' houses to film Facebook Lives and Twitter Lives? Sure didn't. <laughs> um, you know, I thought as my career as a graphic designer, yes, I am going to cover protests. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. Welcome to Washington, D.C. <laughs> um, no, it's been it's been fun, though. I mean, I don't know if that's the best word for it, but, you know, Doug's a good friend. So I um, wanted to go with him on Saturday when we went to uh, Chevy Chase. And it was just it was very uh, an interesting experience just because they were all so angry. And like, who would think like, if you're mad about something, don't go to, like, the Supreme Court justice's house. Go to the Supreme Court. That's where mm-hmm. protests are supposed to be. So it's just kind of – it was it was very eye-opening to see how far the left has moved as far as, like, not caring anymore about, like, respect and dignity in our, you know, institutions. Yeah. Um, Talk a little bit about, like, the atmosphere on Saturday specifically and, like, what kind of the difference was because you all first went to – um, Supreme Court Justice John Roberts' house, Chief Justice John Roberts, and then to Kavanaugh's house. Like, what was the difference in the scene and about how many protesters were out there? It it kind of started a little small at their meeting point, and then um, it was it was ran by people from that neighborhood, which 
another thing I just found kind of ridiculous. Like you're you're imposing this on your own neighbors. This is ridiculous. So it kind of grew as we walked because people were like from the area joining in. So it started out small, but it actually ended up getting pretty large. And they were, um, you know, chanting a lot of you know, new chants that I had not heard before. Hmm. So, you know, they're getting Get paid at least. <laughs> um, but they were just kind of, you know, very angry shouting. Um, we get to, I think it was Robert's house first. And, you know, they stood outside, they were chanting, um, but they were not about to mess with the cops that were there. They didn't get too close to the sidewalk. Um, They kind of stayed in the street, marched back and forth across the same, like, 20-yard patch for, like, five or ten minutes and then moved on to Kavanaugh's house where they got riled up. (laughs) (laughs) They were not happy. Um, There were people, like, drawing chalk hangers on the road and... Kavanaugh's house was where the the cops were just super nice. And um, one of them, I think, was was willing to engage with people and like came up to the curb to like talk to people. And they just kind of turned on him and were just shouting at him. And I think he was trying to like be open and like have a conversation with Mm -hmm. them. And it just wasn't working. So he, you know, after a few minutes just was like, nope, and got back onto the sidewalk. Um, But people were just angry. And we probably stayed there for like 15 minutes. Um, and then they decided to walk back towards Robert's house again. And then when we got there was when backup cops came and everybody scrambled. <laughs> like the second the extra cop cars got there, they were gone. Doug and I turned around and we were like, whoa, <laughs> where did they go? Everybody left. <laughs> well, and what was crazy. So Doug was one of the only, and you were there, but Doug as and, a reporter. Yeah, Doug mm-hmm. is a reporter at the Daily Signal. Was one of the only really reporters on the scene and so yeah. his coverage blew up i think that video the view count is still rising but it's like six million it was on fox news <laughs> on the beginning of the hour every hour and so leaving that protest doug had some threats on twitter about um his safety from potentially antifa but then you went again on monday night were you were you scared <laughs> are you, i mean are you just crazy <laughs> i mean maybe both <laughs> I mean, Virginia came with us the second time, and um, so did, you know, Scott. Well, she's crazy, so. <laughs> Obviously. Certifiably. Um, so we had a slightly bigger crew on Monday, which I think made everyone feel a little bit better that there were more eyes on the scene. Um, but Monday night was definitely it, – it's always good, I think, to be overly cautious mm-hmm. in these situations. And so we were very prepared for it, but it was very calm in mm. comparison to Saturday night. It was a much bigger crowd, but um, they were – I don't want to call protesters apathetic, but they were just a lot more like quiet, <laughs> mm-hmm. a lot more um, not willing to like scream and run around. Um, it was a much more organized crowd, I would say. Insanely organized. It was like a very formal event. They had yeah. like, a briefing beforehand. <laughs> um, they actually, and honestly, I appreciated this, but they actually had everyone, like they all gathered in a parking lot about a half mile from Justice Samuel Alito's home. Um, and just a note, Justice Samuel Alito is the one who drafted uh, this draft opinion on this case that could overturn Roe v. Wade. And Everyone gathered and they actually started by having everyone do some deep breathing exercises. <laughs> but I was like, this is great. Like people that have done deep breathing exercises are not going to go like, you know, throw a brick through someone's window, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like deep breathing exercises would make me more likely to. <laughs> <laughs> For you, it would probably. <laughs> it's like, no, like, I'm not doing any deep don't breathing tell, exercises. Don't tell me how to breathe. Exactly. I breathe by myself every day. <laughs> Give me that, Rob. <laughs> But it definitely was this very formal, in some ways, 
event that that was structured. It was structured. Oh yeah. And then they they marched their half a mile to his home. It was interesting. I don't know Taylor how it kind of compared to Saturday, but um, like they had speeches in front of his house that were planned. You know, people had come with their notes all written out, and they were ready to deliver their speeches and say what they wanted to say. Um, and they kind of did some more chants, and that was that. Yeah. No, there was no. Saturday did not feel very, like, super organized. Mm -hmm. Um, Monday definitely was exceptionally well organized. They had, I mean, probably a dozen folks in, like, orange and yellow vests with, like, (laughs) flags to, like, block off traffic when they were in the street. They had, like, a designated person who was the only person who was allowed to talk to the cops if the cops got involved. Mm -hmm. Like, and they they told everyone explicitly before they began, like, you are not allowed to talk to the cops. This guy over here with the hair, he's Mm -hmm. the one that talks to the cops. (laughs) And and they were, uh, they gave people kind of a a briefing on, hey, be careful which press you talk to. They specifically told attendees, don't talk to the Daily Signal. It's like, okay, well, so much for talking to the crowd and getting interviews. Yeah. <laughs> we still tried, but most people, the, you know, you say, I'm with the press. And they say, who are you with? Daily Signal. And they're like, no, I'm not talking to you. Well, Instantly shut down. That honestly might be worse. I mean, it's still inexcusable to have like a small angry mob gather in front of somebody's house. But the fact that somebody went through the, the pain of organizing it and getting volunteers to wear vests and finding somebody to talk to the cops, it's almost worse that you're like, okay, I'm going to do this bad thing. But I'm going to put all this thought into it oh, beforehand. Yeah. yeah, no, fully, fully planned. And I will say, again, the cops did, like Taylor mentioned, the cops on Saturday, the cops were great Monday night. They were there, you know, probably like three hours ahead of time all over the street, making sure everyone stayed safe. They were so kind. Uh, and thankfully, nothing turned violent. Um, and hopefully nothing turns violent Wednesday night either. Um, well, it's interesting because... The protest on Monday night was in Virginia, mm-hmm. which we now have a conservative Very governor. Conservative thank God. Governor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, Youngkin got a lot of flack on Twitter for even letting the protest even happen in front of the the, the Supreme Court justices' homes. So I'm interested tonight to see what happens. I mean, it might even be a non-event because there might be so many cops to be like – no, you're not, you're not getting yeah. on this block, you know? Yeah. No, I think it's very possible. You know, I was fascinated. I um, got to film uh, a woman at the protest on Monday who was answering questions from another reporter, and there was a few people just sort of trying to get her comments. Um, but she was a woman, probably kind of middle age, who was very pro-abortion, but was telling her own story that her mom got pregnant with her before Roe v. Wade and probably would have aborted her if she had that option. Uh, and honestly, her comments were just really tragic because she was essentially saying, like, if I hadn't have been born, maybe that would have been better. Um, so I want to play just a little bit of her remarks. My mother didn't have a choice, so I'm here. But I had 57 years of misery. If she had a choice, she would have made different decisions. And I might not have been here. Nobody would have been the wiser. Give her her choice. But rather than she having a choice... A choice was made for her because she didn't have it, and she brought treasure into the world that she didn't want. So again, I just think this was so tragic um, to have someone literally saying, well, my life really doesn't matter, and in some ways saying I would have rather have been aborted. I'm just like, my goodness, what a lack of hope Mm. and what a lie this woman has been sold. Every life is precious. Every life is beautiful, no matter the background, what you've been through, there's purpose, there's meaning to your life. Um, And I think it kind of just highlights the lack 
of hope and the darkness within the pro-abortion movement. Um, and I'm like, we just have to, like, in the midst of all the protesting and, like, bringing it back to, like, remembering, like, we are ultimately here to stand for life and to stand for the value of life and to stand for babies that don't have a voice um, and to bring that hope of life and culture of life back into culture again. And I think it's so important to be telling these stories, Virginia, as, as heartbreaking it is to see this woman. But I was back in Florida this weekend and I went to a little southern church that probably has 40 people and it's a, p- a packed room. And they brought up the photo that went viral last week of the woman who was holding, I wish my mom would have aborted me mm. sign. And the, the pastor did a really good job of tying it into Mother's Day. But we really need to be getting these stories out. And because once the American people understand the the really, we try not to paint our political opponents as evil. So I don't want to say that the, the left is broad stroke, but I really do feel like when you go to some of these protests and some of these people, there's something dark in their hearts. And you so we really can showcase that there is something dark about abortion and that, that there is something that's really taken a hold. And, and the more that we can highlight that, I think it really makes the life case just so – it's already so strong, but so much stronger. So I'm, yeah. I'm really glad, um, as heartbreaking as that was, that you were able to capture that and that, you know, people are responding to it on yeah. social media platforms. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, protesting is, at the end of the day, like it's a good thing. Like people have a right to protest, but where that happens mm, exactly. is very important. And it's not appropriate to be going to these people's homes and protesting, but going to anyone's home and protesting. That's such a violation of people's privacy and security and sense of safety. Um, so, you know, for for anyone, use your First Amendment right. Be careful where you use that right. There are times and places for where that is, use speech, is not appropriate. Not Molotov cocktails, <laughs> <laughs> which gets yeah. us into our, our next segment. Yeah, well, no, that's what we've seen at some of these crisis pregnancy centers are literally coming under attack. They're having Molotov cocktails thrown in their window. They're being spray painted on the outside. And it's this tactic of intimidation. Mm. Well, and there was a guy on Monday night at the protest who, in front of the entire group, said something to the effect of, you know, these crisis pregnancy centers, they're not going to give you abortion. They're terrible. Don't like if you're pregnant, don't go to them. And he told this whole crowd of like 200 people there, Mm -hmm. like these places are the worst, you know, they're the worst because Planned Parenthood does not get money when you go there. (laughs) Planned Parenthood is the one who funds this march. So, uh, Exactly. All right. Well, we could keep ranting. We could just keep going here. But uh, stay tuned because up next, we're going to talk about how the left is censoring content and our content once again. Uh, But first, I want to tell you all about a super fun way that you can stay connected with Problematic Women throughout the week. Problematic Women is on Instagram. We've said that a couple times already today. But if you have not followed us, please take a minute to do so. You can catch so much content on there, highlights of the show, reels, inspiring social graphics, and really stay up to date on what we're covering during the show every week. And including, as we've mentioned, we're going to be posting videos from the protest at Amy Coney Barrett, Justice Amy Coney Barrett's home on Wednesday night. We want to give you all kind of that behind the scenes look of what's really happening as we continue to wait for the final decision on the Dobbs case to come out. So just search for Problematic Women on Instagram and look for that bright pink logo. Former President Donald Trump is still being censored by the leftist big tech companies. 
Trump spoke at a Heritage Foundation event last month. We live streamed the video of his speech to YouTube, and 500,000 views later this week, YouTube took it down, saying that it contained, quote unquote, misinformation. In his speech, Trump talked about inflation, disruptions in the supply chain, the crisis at the border, America's lower standing in the world, and how we embolden our enemies. But YouTube said they removed the video because it contains claims that the 2020 election was rigged because of voter fraud. Let's roll the clip. And in 2020, they used COVID, among many other things, to rig the election, but they're trying to do it again. We can't let it happen again. The masks, the mandates, and then the mail-in ballots. You can never have a secure election with mail-in ballots. You can't have it. It doesn't work. Lauren, this is not the first time that Heritage or the Daily Signal has been censored by YouTube. This has happened before, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the bane of my existence. (laughs) Someone who works a lot with social media and multimedia here at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, And it's true. Big tech is big left. And I mean, while maybe you don't agree with what Donald Trump said 100 percent, he does have a point that there were some shady things that happened in the election. And he should, as our former president in front of the Heritage Foundation, in front of the world, be able to Say, like, hey, let's investigate this because now they're coming back whenever you claim that the election, there was some shady things about it. Well, they're like, well, we never looked into it. But it's just really sad in our society right now where people can literally go and stand in front of people's homes and the left says that's OK. They're just passionate. But the former president can't just say that he thinks that there was something shady that happened with the election. And it's kind of funny. One of our colleagues here at the Heritage Foundation was like, as soon as the speech happened, he was like, this is going to get pulled off of YouTube. And I really told him, I was like, dude, this is the former president of the United States in front of the Heritage Foundation. And he just said, you know, the election was rigged. And I think you can make a claim that while there might not have been wide-scale election fraud, the way that the New York Post story was pulled off of Twitter, which mm-hmm. we now know would have swayed a lot of Biden voters to not vote for Biden, like you can make a claim that there were Things that happened that could have changed the course of the election. But so I was like, yeah, this is not going to happen. And then pretty much out of the blue, a couple weeks later, it was taken down. And now the Heritage Foundation can't post anything to our YouTube channel for one full week. Jeez. I mean, it just for me, it comes always comes back to the idea of free speech, that even if I don't like what you're saying, you have a right to say it. And. Gosh, people say things on social media constantly that I disagree with, sometimes very strongly disagree with. And but I I want them to have the right to be able to say that. And for social media that have now sort of essentially made themselves the quote unquote arbiters of truth, how on earth do they know what really happened in in the election? Or I mean, it it's goes beyond that, though, I think, to just why should a former president not or anyone for that matter, not be able to express their own views, thoughts and opinions freely. And if they were so confident that it's true, just let people post videos saying why it's, mm-hmm. it's true. You yeah. know, like, like it, it's a public space for debates to happen. Let that happen. And it's funny, the things that they pick, right? It's the election. It's gender. It's climate change. Like they're, they're so specific about the stuff that you can't tell, quote unquote, misinformation about. And and they act like, OK, we're, we're listening to everyone. But you know that it was some intern on Media Matters who knew exactly the phrasing to look for. Yep. Opened up our video, you know, hit command F, which is the fine function, looked up the word rigged and they like report. 
Yeah. And, you know, that's that's what they do in their afternoon mm-hmm. is to look for these videos. And they know if they send two or three reports, they'll get the video taken down and then silence heritage on YouTube for a week. Um, and it it's really unfortunate. And it's really it puts conservatives in a, a hard place. Right. Because on one hand, YouTube is where the audience that we want to reach is. Right. It is great to reach the base on places like Getter or Rumble, but at the end of the day, we want to win hearts and minds, and we want to find these young people who are suffering because of inflation, who are probably struggling to find a job that pays them enough to keep up with inflation. Maybe and we're going to get into it, young moms who can't find formula on, on the shelves. We want to reach these people. We want to show that we have better policy solutions, and so that's why YouTube is a great place for us to be. I mean, we get a lot of flack for why are you on these these platforms? Is we'll be on these platforms as long as there's people to reach because mm-hmm. we don't want to leave that audience in the lurch. And it's not a either or, but at the same time, it's so frustrating when all we want to do is put out information that we've taken time to research or or highlight people who are important to American society and just give them a platform to say what they think and that we are you know, somewhat being deplatformed before because of it. Um, and it, it creates a scary dichotomy. And it goes into what we were talking about last week of young women censoring themselves on social media, right? If like, you don't want to post your pro-life thing because you don't want your friend to respond with, mm-hmm. with something rude. And um, just the continued response that I get from friends who have this fear um, or have lost friends, is just, it's continually heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But in somewhat, it's somewhat happening on a greater scale of, oh, should we not post this on this platform, mm-hmm. even though we believe in it, because we don't want to get flagged and we don't want to lose our account? And that's really unfair and really scary, because right now it's just gender, which is a huge issue. It's just climate change, right? We can kind of still prioritize and get stuff out. But when is the left in these big tech companies going to make? How far does it go? Yeah. yeah. Can you not say America is a great country because that's racist? Yeah. Can you? I mean, where where is that line? And that line is continually moving, and it's 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 scary. And I think that's why it's so important what Elon Musk is doing and trying to do with Twitter of really saying like, no, we're 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 done with this. And it's been fascinating because he's actually just this week come out and said uh, that he would allow former President Donald Trump back onto Twitter, and it's unclear whether. President Trump would take up that offer. He's actually – Trump has said, I won't come back on Twitter. But um, you never know. Things well, and that's change. such a Trump move to be like, <laughs> I'm not going to come on. I'm better. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, please, Trump. Like, please come back on. He's like, I'll do it for the people. You know? <laughs> Let there be Trump tweets. Yeah. But, I mean, I kind of respect that. <laughs> I think I'd do the same thing. <laughs> do you all think, though, that under – Elon Musk leadership that will see big changes at Twitter? I hope so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't think he's the kind of guy that talks the talk and doesn't walk the walk. I agree you with know? that. I agree with that. He he's a pretty to... straight shooter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think they're scared. Like Twitter is scared and you they wouldn't be scared if they didn't think actual change was happening. Yeah. I still kind of can't believe that he bought Twitter and that it all <laughs> happened so fast. That was such an entertaining week to watch him just troll Twitter like <laughs> nobody ever has. It's like, wow. Was that on your 2022 bingo card? <laughs> there you go. Elon Musk buys Twitter. <laughs> I don't know. I bought Bitcoin yesterday Ooh. and I just feel like I'm like just some like crypto tech bro. That I feel like Elon Musk. So I kind of, I, I relate. <laughs> just like trading my NFTs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> going to buy land in the metaverse yeah. soon. <laughs> <You know. laughs> 
<laughs> You're so cool. I mean, I have made like 25 cents. So. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> you can take us to lunch yeah. then. <laughs> I can get us an Aldi card. There you Ooh. go. <laughs> <laughs> well, whether or not you have been personally affected by the left censorship, uh, there's one thing that's affecting us all right now. That's supply chain issues and inflation. So among some of the latest supply chain shortages is baby formula, as Lauren mentioned. And this this shortage has been made worse when in February there was a recall on three brands of baby formula made by Abbott Nutrition because of possible bacterial infections. And also we get a lot of baby formula, over half of our baby formula, um, according to Bethany Mandel on Fox News this morning, uh, comes from China. And we know that importing stuff from China has been really challenging during the pandemic and continuing on this spring. How have you all been experiencing any of these shortages? Have there been things, I mean, I I know you all don't have kids, so you're not out there (laughs) looking for baby formula, but have you experienced going to the store, looking for things, there being shortages, seeing empty shelves? I mean, just filling up my tank is like, (laughs) you know, I'm spending like $15 more and I don't Mm -hmm. don't drive a, a car and I don't drive a lot, but even that is... I own my house and sometimes being being in your early 30s and owning a home means that you can become house poor <laughs> very quickly. Very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> and so uh, I, uh, sometimes I eat a lot of sandwiches for lunch. And even finding the lunch meat for the sandwiches for a while was like there was no lunch meat on the, on the shelves. And mm-hmm. it's kind of scary when you go to the grocery store and there's just gaps. And, yeah. And, you know, and whatever, when you want a sandwich and you can't get the turkey and you have to eat the chicken, it's... It's not a big deal. I mean, but it's but just at like, the same time, yeah, like it. It, but it's really scary when it moves over to something like baby formula, where uh, a lot of women try to breastfeed and maybe they're you know the baby won't latch or there's just so many ways reasons the baby needs special formula. A lot of times, preemies need special formula, and that's a really scary thing because you you can, there's not another option there. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you can yeah. make it at home, but it, it's really not recommended because if you do it wrong, you can really mess up. A, a child. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's something where it really is like, okay, if, if it's out, it's gone. And reading stories online of moms that are just calling grocery stores all over, do you have baby formula, do you have baby formula, and trying to find it. You just feel for these moms that they really don't have uh, any other choice or option. And that's got to be so scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. Well, and Lauren, you mentioned gas prices. So just this week, gas prices hit a new record high. (laughs) $4.37 is the new record. Ding, ding, ding. Congratulations, President Joe Biden. Uh, (laughs) But I mean, it really is so wild to now be remembering not that long ago when gas was less than $2 a gallon. Mm -hmm. And now you're like thinking like, Okay, I want to you know drive here this weekend. Oh wait, is that a good idea? Because that's going to take about half a tank of gas. It's like oh, it's crazy to be having to kind of just make those decisions. Remember when this happened under Obama in the mid two thousands, and that's when staycations became a thing. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and I think we'll probably see that again this summer, where like parent people won't be able to go see family or won't be able to do those trips. And it's my weekly reminder to our problematic women listeners that. Elections have consequences, mm-hmm. and this is a consequence that we're li- living through, and it's 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 scary, and it's 
it's so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, uh, it looks like there's not going to be any sort of significant mm-hmm. increase before the summer hits. So, uh, yeah, take it into consideration as you're as you're budgeting for your summer vacations. <laughs> it's unfortunate. But hopefully you can still go on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, stay tuned because up next we crown our problematic woman of the week. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. So if you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Doug Blair, Rob Bluey, and me, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. The crown goes to Carrie Severino. Carrie Severino is president of the Judicial Crisis Network and the co-author of one of my favorite books, Justice on Trial, The Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Supreme Court. If you want to know what is happening at the Supreme Court right now and what is going on with Roe versus Wade, Carrie has this all covered. She actually even clerked for Justice Clarence Thomas, so she knows the court very well. And she recently joined the Daily Signal podcast to talk about how unprecedented this leak of the draft opinion is. The idea that there would be a leaked draft opinion in the first place is some of the most shocking news of this. Uh, I, I never would have expected to see a leak like this uh, with the level of security and the, and the um, level of confidence that justices have in their clerks that, that they can really trust them with these incredibly stuff. Think about it. it it's Bush versus Gore didn't have a leak. Uh, you know, I mean, all of these Heller versus the United States that restored Second Amendment rights didn't have a leak. Um, there wasn't a leak like this for the Obamacare case. This is this is really unprecedented to have a draft opinion out like this. But I think what it, what this shows is this is a continued part of the pressure campaign that is being waged against uh, justices on the court. I am actually rereading Justice on Trial right now. I I don't know what, why I just love this book so much. It is Kavanaugh's confirmation, but it starts from the very beginning, really from when Trump was elected and his decision on why to nominate Gorsuch. And then it goes into his thought process behind Kavanaugh. And it really, it tells a story. She co-wrote the book with Molly Hemingway, another very problematic woman who I'm sure has been problematic woman of the week at least a couple of times. <laughs> but it, it is interesting as someone who lived through it in D.C. to an extent, the way that it tells the story, it really kind of invokes an emotional reaction and it really allows you to feel what the Kavanaugh's felt uh, throughout this process. And so now to see that kind of go into fruition, right? Now, like Roe versus Wade is kind of, that, that was why everybody was afraid of Kavanaugh, right? Like they, they saw this coming, the left being they. And I think it kind of gives us insight of like why the protesters are doing what they're doing, right? And And yeah, just really recommend that book to anyone and all of our listeners. Yeah. I'm excited to read it. Thanks, Lauren. Same. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go, we want to read a couple of very kind reviews that you all have left us on Apple Podcasts. So uh, BLC36 recently left us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. They write, great show, first review I've ever written. Greatly enjoy listening to these ladies There are women who support women and are conservative. Thanks for speaking up and speaking out so clearly on today's issues. And I promise that is not my own mother. (laughs) (laughs) Our moms didn't write (laughs) you. 
And thank you to Ray Mango for your review. Also, five stars says, fantastic intellectual women sharing real news. Yeah, that, that does oh, sound like us. so kind. <laughs> I wish more people listened to this, if anything, just to be educated on how so much has happened and so few are engaged. Thanks for being voices. This is very hard work. Mm. Well, Ray Mango, you make it easy. Yeah. No, no we love fun. doing this. It is super fun. And Taylor, thanks for joining us today to make it even more fun. Oh, we really you. appreciate you being here. You this are a fun. fantastic intellectual woman. <laughs> oh, my, thank you. What That's a compliment. Just what we're going to start calling no. each other. Hey there, fantastic <laughs> That's intellectual, intellectual woman. woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I pretty much like call myself in my own head. So it's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> Look in the mirror every morning and say that. And that's a great place to leave it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, subscribe and share the show. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world. And we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. We'll see you next Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.